Ladies and gentlemen, episode 53 of the ASN podcast, and we are recording this at 9.15 in the morning on New Year's Eve. So this will officially be, well, especially the way that we've been recording the last few months, this will definitely be the last episode of 2023. And what a year it has been for both of us, Dan Tracy, my beloved co-host, and really the driving force behind this podcast. How are you doing today, my brother? I'm very good. I I don't know if I agree if I'd agree about driving force. I mean, I don't I don't think any of the episodes would actually get up if not for you. So that might be might be overdoing it a little bit, but uh, I'm I'm doing well. Closing out 2023 with a bang, right? One final episode, number 53. Absolutely, I'm excited about that. That we found this time pretty easily. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Can't complain. I got an, an, as we were talking about before. For those of you at home that obviously can't see us, I have a new addition to my face. It is not a tattoo. It is a pair of glasses. <laughs> I am fully embracing my old age at this point and uh, just going for it. No, I, I needed some help with my eyes because I spend far too much time in front of As Dan could probably attest to because he runs such a great Instagram account that he has to be on top of all, literally all sports news at all times. He's, his screen time is probably like double mine, and that's not a knock. It's just that is, dude. Look at what just popped up on my phone. No, I got it too. That's why. That's why I was about to say. I didn't realize they send those out at the same exact time for everybody. But that's I was going to so say funny. you nailed the screen, the the screen time that. report. Just popped up on my phone as I was talking about that. That's pretty funny. But. I just look. I just saw the notification. So you you nailed it with the timing. What Couldn't was uh, what was yours? If you don't mind me asking. I, I in the last week I averaged thirteen hours and three minutes. Holy <laughs> shit! That's literally. <laughs> that's, I is, thought mine. I thought mine was bad, but I'm. I spend like, if you if I cut my Twitter time in half per day. I'd probably be on, be on my phone for like three hours a day. Yeah. But. Well, if I'm gonna, if I could defend myself, I think you know we're. This is that weird week between Christmas and New Year's, right? So you know that nobody's really uh, doing doing much. So I, I think that was up maybe like an hour from from the usual. Not that twelve hours is impressive or anything, but you know, a little bit elevated. Yeah, I bet next I've been week be down like, a bit. That was a big thing, especially since I, I deleted. I had a, for my YouTube channel, I had an Instagram account and I think we've been pretty, well, I've been pretty adamant in saying that I think, no disrespect to you because you've cracked it. But to me, Instagram is just a waste of time and trying to promote. It never worked for me. And um, I, I, I deleted that account, cleaned up a little bit of my social medias and uh, the screen time was going way down. I think I'm at this week, like you said, I will attest to that was a little higher than usual, but I also had a slow week at work and I spent Tuesday I had off. So I spent a lot of time just kind of bumming around the house reading some articles and stuff. So it was around six and a half hours. It's usually around four hours and 15 minutes. I like to try and keep it around four. I'd love for one of my New Year's resolutions in 2024 to be around like three hours a day, really try and cut it down. But I'm just a, I, I'll, I'm just a full-blown addict. I love Twitter. Twitter is my favorite thing on earth at the moment. And um, it's just so easy to get engagement and to like promote yourself. I think that's what it is because this has been from from 2022 to 2023 has been the biggest year of my content creating life. So like I get more addicted to it as I see the the results. I'm sure that you could kind of attest to that too, where it's like, you know, you want to do more. So I'm trying my best to like separate home life from like fantasy world. So (laughs) I think I've done a pretty good job except for this week, but 
That is, I can't believe that that popped up at the same time that we were talking. I did not plan that at all. Uh, that was that was pretty interesting. But Dan, you got as it is New Year's Eve, of course. Uh, I'm sure you're going to stay up. Well, you're a night owl anyway. I'm sure no, that I'm... you're going to stay up to watch the balls drop <laughs> at uh, 12 o'clock. So, what do you have any plans, my friend? Yeah, I, I I don't think I've been asleep. I don't think I've been asleep before midnight in in multiple years. Um, it's so yeah. It's it, I, you, when I was like seven, eight years old, like that. This would be a huge deal for me. Uh, but this is like you know we hit midnight and I just keep going. So uh, you're no, going to go out to dinner with the family. Um, I'm actually working during the middle part of the day because it's an NFL Sunday. As we all know, there's like 14 games today too. It's a pretty loaded slate. There's no Monday night game. So uh, there's a lot going on today. So I got to get, get, get through that and then go to dinner and uh, you know, that'll be that nothing too exciting. You'll also have to bear with me because I've got like the, the nose and the throat, you know, it's so, that sort of why I'm, I'm right There's there a lot going now. on. <laughs> if I, I think cough, everybody's if I cough sick, and right? I sound like I have emphysema, I, I don't. It's because my throat is bothering me. So I think I, I feel better than I sound. It's just the the nose, you know, the, the it changes the way you sound. So working through that, but uh, everybody is right this time of year. Yeah, it's just my my fiance said to me this morning before she went to work. She was like, "I think I got." what you have. And I'm like, it's not the bublonic plague. I'm like, it's, it's like a simple cold. I'm like, and we, we sleep next to each other. I'm like, you're going to yeah, get you it. It's like, not like, it's, it's not like you invented it. I mean, you know, you it's, just, it's not like I like opened up her mouth in the middle of the night and just like <laughs> coughed right into it. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're going to get it if we sleep next to each other. So, and we're, and we spent all day together yesterday. We had one of those, like, I don't know if you and your girlfriend are this type of couple, but I mean, especially since like now we're saving for a wedding, like we're trying to keep the activities on free days to like a minimum, yeah. even, even though, even though, you know, like we still do go, it, it's funny. We always say that we're going to have a lazy day and we wind up like in the middle of Brooklyn at like <laughs> one o'clock in the morning, like taking shots of like peppermint schnapps. And I'm like, how did we get here? But, uh, you know. But we, yesterday we actually stuck to it. We had a true lazy day and we, we went to the gym. Uh, we got a, her oil changed and we were in at 10 a.m. And I didn't leave the house after that. And yeah, that's a good I day. Mean, like, we're in together all day. We spent before she went to bed, we spent 12 hours consistently next to each other. You're gonna get sick. I don't care who you are. You could be Superman. You're gonna get the sniffles. Yeah, there, there's there's not that much room for it to travel. Right? If if it's if you got it, it's probably going to her. If she's got it, it's probably going to you. Exactly. We're just going to keep trading it back and forth. You know, <laughs> like my sister was telling me the other day, she's like, I've been sick for like five weeks. I'm like, how do you, what? I'm like, how? And it's not the same sickness. It's been like three different illnesses. I'm like, <laughs> just stay inside for like two days and maybe you'll, you'll clear this up. She's ridiculous. But yeah. I mean, it's going around. I a hundred percent agree with you on that. I, I think everyone has it at this point. And my, my work partner, is also a disgusting human being. He he's <laughs> he's in his mid sixties and he doesn't listen to stuff like this. So I could firmly say this. Shout out Bruce Murphy, but um, he he just I, I so we have a little tablet right that like my partner he like bills out the jobs and everything as we're doing them, and I I saw him actively sneeze onto the screen <laughs> of the tablet. Nope, like actively. like. like Literally typing on it and just sne and didn't wipe it. He just kept typing. And I was like, that you are in your mid 60s, sir. That is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. And he like 
always coughs, like doesn't cover his mouth. I'm like, dude, I'm like, why do I, I'm like a third of your age. Why do I have to tell you to cover your mouth? Like you're a 65 year old child. I just, I love the guy to death, but his, his, his hygiene could really, I mean. So it's his fault. No, it's not. But like, I definitely have gotten sick in the past because of him. You have to understand, Dan, I spend on a minimum 60 hours a week with this man. I yeah. see him more than my entire family. So like, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to get sick if you're sneezing onto tablet screens. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're about eight and a half minutes into this, and this has already been a fantastic episode, in my opinion. I think we could end it right here and we'll be good to go. Yeah, as long as Bruce doesn't, uh, you know, tune in. And, and I'm just letting you know that we're probably going to be the first episode. I try and keep my – I don't know if I get, like, embarrassment from this, but I try and keep my, like, content creating and podcasting and everything, like, away from work. Like, no one knows. Everyone thinks – I mean, I probably am a boring guy, but everyone thinks that I'm just, like, a boring guy that watches a lot of sports, like, outside of work. And I prefer to keep it that way because, you know, it gives me free – Free spaces like this to talk shit about my work partner. Watch, this yeah. will be the first podcast episode he ever stumbles upon. Like his 2024 resolution is going to be, I'm going to listen to more podcasts. <laughs> and then he's going to click on the, oh, the ASN podcast. That looks like fun. I recognize that name. Hey, what the fuck? You know, like, <laughs> Not even seven minutes into the episode and you you start bashing them. Yeah, no, I'm going to come into work one day. He's going to be like, I'm, I'm going to look for a new partner. This is ridiculous. But Fully doxing my work partner. It's okay. He's a, he's, he's an interesting one. But we kind of went into this episode. We firmly talked about it beforehand that we were kind of just going to let it flow the way that it hasn't obviously 10 minutes in at this point. It's, it's flowed interestingly <laughs> already. But there is a couple talking points that we wanted to get to. Obviously, last night, Saturday night, I didn't even know until I woke up yesterday that there was a football game on. <laughs> At night, I, I looked at the slate and I was like, wait a minute, Saturday night. What a treat. And the NFL will not miss an opportunity to put a game on Saturday. After, I love it. Know. I think every week, maybe besides for like week one or week two, I think there should be a Saturday I think night. They're, game they're really, they're, they're not allowed to, like they're not allowed to, to put it on a major network if, um, if the college football season is still going on. Obviously there are bowls and all that, but in the regular season, they are prevented from that. I think I'll miss the game for an NFL football game. I think. I think. Yeah, but but it, they, there was like an actual law passed in like the seventies. The seventies. Yeah, like it's, and it's just still there. So like they they kind of have to wait until that first weekend after like the Army Navy game, which is usually when they throw a time know, to revise that. It's uh, maybe. I think so, but I mean, like, but I don't know if they want to compete really with with college football. I mean, of course they'd get great, they'd get better ratings. But I guarantee they, they'd they get better ratings on a Saturday than they would on Thursday. I bet Thursday? they would. I, uh, I think. I mean, Thursday nights it's, it's hard to gauge because it's on Amazon Prime now. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, that's their stage. Like, there's nobody else. There's nothing else going on on Thursday night besides like, you know, the NBA on TNT, which not you know. Actually, I think for a portion of the year they do that on Tuesday because of the NFL. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's that's a stage all to their own. It's crazy how they much. Pretty well, it's crazy how much the NFL is truly king in America. Yeah. Like I saw the Christmas Day stats, and it was like two point five million people t- tuned into like the Knicks and Bucks, and then like twenty five million people tuned into the Eagles and and 
yeah, from Giants. Which was terrible. I mean, I, well, I think they... Well, it, it was a lot better than it should have been, yeah, but it still wasn't great. I, I think they topped out at like $5.5 million for like Lakers-Celtics or something along those lines. Yeah, it's, it's a fraction of what of what the NFL does, which makes it very interesting, by the way, because this this push to have all these games on on Christmas and... Um, well, Christmas Eve, I guess not so much, but Christmas started three-ish years ago. I mean, they had games on Christmas before, but it had to land conveniently. Oh, yeah, with uh, with the Saints and the – well, I mean, they started off like gangbusters because the first Christmas game, like the first planned Christmas game was, the, what, the Saints and the Vikings, and that was when Alvin Kamara scored six touchdowns. So well, no, they but started- they, they, they did it even earlier. They had like in 2017, I think maybe like the, the second – game that Nick Foles played after the Wentz injury was on Christmas. There are a couple others. I don't even remember that. Um, But that's because it fell on like a Sunday, Monday. Mm -hmm. Now the NFL is taking over the holiday, but next year it's a Wednesday. Do they, do they still try and put a game on there on a Wednesday? I mean, they would have to really move a team schedule, but well, I mean, it's, what it's I not think as easy people, as Saturday, Sunday, Thursday, yeah. you know, basically every day except Tuesday and Wednesday is very easy for the NFL to work in if it's yeah. if, if that's what Christmas falls on. But they're going to have to think about that next year if they still want to own the holiday in the, in the middle of the week. I think the simple solution would just be whatever team is going to be playing Thursday night football that week. You just flex it to Wednesday and just keep it as a one like a like a one game slate i guess because yeah, they just have to play you know they can't play on sunday i mean if they're going on wednesday yeah no that's crazy yeah, yeah. that's that's way too close i mean thursday is pushing it right. <laughs> I mean, wednesday would be like that's just abuse at that point right so you know, that's <laughs> all right tommy devito i know you got sacked 13 times on sunday but get your ass <laughs> eat a couple cutlets and get your ass back out there for wednesday like no way yeah if they're gonna do that they better put two talented teams we don't want to see the giants <laughs> out there pardon me Said, this is what I'm talking about. But emphysema. No, it actually sounds a lot better. I, I took some medicine. I, I I had a very healthy morning. I I woke up. I literally this is a 40 ounce Stanley. I drank one of these already. I made myself a uh, a pineapple and cucumber smoothie. It sounds disgusting. It's not that great, but it's very very healthy for you. And I've been eating. I've been drinking those for quite some time now. 2024 is going to be all about fitness, Dan. I agree. I, uh, Me too. Uh, odd, not not odd flex, but quick flex. I've I've lost about since the beginning of 2023. I'd say I've lost close to like 30 pounds. So I'm I want to keep that going. Uh, I want to get down to by, by by 2025 long term goal. I'd probably like to be like a lean 175 around there, 170. You know, because regardless of whatever your your BMI, like whatever your height weight ratio is. The BMI scale is going to have you massively obese, regardless. <laughs> so it doesn't take an effect. If you're not 115 pounds at six foot, then you are. You yeah, know, you are obese. massively, morbidly obese. Like it's it's so funny because it doesn't take into account like muscle mass and all that kind of stuff, and it's really funny. But anyway, getting back to the to the task at hand. Last night, Saturday night, Detroit Lions, Dallas Cowboys. I'm not going to lie, like. The score wasn't indicative of how like offensive this game was. I feel. Oh like. yeah. I feel like there was. It was just there was just no scoring. There was what? There's the fumble through the end zone. There's the you know, going forward on fourth and goal from the four. You know all all those things. Let me let me ask you. Glad you brought that up. 
the CD lamb fumbled through the end zone. Why does that rule get so much hate? Because I think it's a perfectly valid rule. Yeah. I mean, but you know, the, I think what what's tough about it is you fumble two yards earlier and you keep it right where it went out, but mm-hmm. then you fumble, you know, two yards forward and it's through the end zone. It goes to the other team. It, it's, it feels like, I don't know, there might be a better middle ground, like a, like, you know, some kind of, Penalty. I don't mean penalty. As oh, I, I got it. I got the perfect solution. I just thought of it right now. So if you fumble through the end zone, regardless of where you were, you get the ball at the twenty-five. Touchback. I'd be. I'd be. <laughs> get the ball at the twenty-five. Like, like all the way back at the twenty-five. Like yeah. leading seventy-one yard yards. You fumble through the end zone. Twenty-five yards. Well, you line. know what? I think they they gladly take that over giving it to the other team. I mean, so yeah. it's not a not a, actually not a crazy idea, but. Oh no, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, but well, you know, it's it's preferable. That's the thing, though. Like, that's how much it punishes the team. Is that a, a touchback? You know, moving back seventy-five yards is preferable to it going to the other team. That's how much it. You know, it changes. Oh, I'm the sorry, game. I'm an idiot. I didn't mean. I didn't mean to the twenty-five yard line on the other side. I meant to the twenty-five yard line. I on, think that could work, line, though. I mean, <laughs> on the offensive side, not seventy-five yards. <laughs> You get to restart the five yard penalty. <laughs> you, you'd have guys throwing for like five hundred yards. You know, they 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 completely they go down the whole field and they just do it again. <laughs> if you want to break YA Tittle's record, yeah, you're just fumbling through the end zone. Through the end zone. <laughs> it's a miraculous. The Dallas Cowboys have had possession for nineteen <laughs> straight minutes. <laughs> No, that you know is, what, now that I think about it, yes, maybe that wouldn't work because then, you know, you're trying to run the clock out and you're like, I'm just going to fumble it through the end zone and we're just going to yeah. get a fresh set of downs on the other end. I saw, um, was it, I think it was Travis Kelsey on Christmas. He like couldn't get out of bounds and he like threw the ball out of bounds and it stopped the clock, which was like. I was like, wow, that's actually like a really – if you could plan it, right? He is low-key like the king of like savvy moves on the yeah. football field, I feel like. That was like – he really legitimately made it look like a fumble. Like he couldn't – he was getting tackled and he wasn't going to get out of bounds and he just kind of like threw the football out and it went out of bounds, stopped the clock. Which is funny because they portray him as like the village idiot. You know, like he, he he's, he's, he's like the – especially with the Taylor Swift stuff, he's like – you know, presented as like the high school jock kind of personality. But meanwhile, he's actually like, you know, part of the reason that they're, they, they've been so successful is how, you know, high IQ like these plays are between him and Mahomes all these years and his ability to get open, not just to catch the ball. Um, and then there's plays like that, you know, heads up plays. Yeah. In terms of, I mean, when people say, oh, like, like, well, this generation hopefully is. I don't mean dying out literally. I mean dying out in this mindset that, oh, he plays football. He's a fucking moron. Like, do you know how sm- – like, stand inside of an NFL huddle and tell me if you understand yeah. a goddamn thing that they're talking about. I think about that sometimes. Like, you know, like just the way they move guys around on defense and, you know, respond to plays and, and schemes and all that. You've got you've to have a lot – first of all, you have to have a good memory. Yeah. You've got to have a lot of knowledge up there. Yeah, I mean it's 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 very complex. I watched a video about Luke Keekley the other day and how they were like I think the the title was like Luke Keekley was the smartest player in NFL history and 
I sort of kind of agreed with it, but after watching the video, I was like, oh yeah, like no doubt. He would literally, they had like NFL films, like follow him. And he would just like, the opposite team would like break out of the huddle and he'd be like, it's a slant going left. And then they would interview <laughs> and they interview like the player on the other team. And they'd be like, I don't know how the fuck you knew that. Like we, we didn't even break formation yet. And he just knew. Honestly, that's, that's how I felt about Micah Parsons last night. I mean, you know, some of the plays he makes, and I don't even mean like as a pass rusher, you know, anybody, well, not anybody can do that. But I mean, some of these plays where he read the run perfectly, you know, taking yeah. down guys for, you know, Montgomery and Gibbs, Marcus two, Lawrence too. two, three yard loss to Marcus Lawrence too. you know, the, the way they, they had a few plays where they seemed like they read it perfectly, which is a credit too to Dan Quinn, um, yeah. who, who, by the way, had some, some awful scheming at the end of the game, but but they were prepared for, you know, the Lions are a run-heavy offense when they when they want to be, and they were prepared for it. I mean, of course, they still got it done because the offensive line is really good. But some of those plays, they really set them back by just reading it perfectly. I think the Lions are the only team in the NFL that has two 800-yard rushers on the roster right now. Probably. I, ca- I can't imagine who else does. I mean, Closer uh, and Montgomery missed, missed four games, too. Yeah, well, and Gibbs wasn't really used for the first few, so it feels like they could have a couple thousand yard rushes with you know a, yeah. another if the ball bounced the right way. Dynasty RB number one, thank you very much. Uh, Jameer Gibbs. But getting back to now, we talked about the fumble through the end zone. I'm, I'm glad that we talked about that and the 75 yard penalty that should come with it. Uh, <laughs> Really 74, if you think about it, because they don't count the goal line as a yard. So whatever. But, you know, there was obviously, I mean, the end of the game was marred in controversy. And, you know, the whole Taylor Decker not reporting eligible when clearly he just went over to the referee to wish him like a happy birthday or something. Like, I I, I guess, or, or Dan Skipper coming in to report eligible. I mean, you could clearly see the frustration on everyone. I felt bad for those reporters asking Dan Campbell questions <laughs> after the game. I really did. He apologized to one of them. He's like, I'm, he's like, Dave, I'm not taking, I don't mean to take it out on you. I'm just frustrated. I, yeah. I but mean, right. Right. You know, so he, he's a fired up guy, but you don't usually see him like that. It's the Dan two Trenty coffees that he drinks in the morning, every <laughs> single morning, by the way, Dan, I know that you're 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 a you're a blue collar guy, you know, you're you're a a rugged, tough, beastly NFL coach. You gotta do away with the dip, my brother. I mean, <laughs> did you see the bottom half of his teeth? He's gotta do I mean, top half, he's got like a Hollywood smile. Bottom half, it's just all brown, all all dip. He's zinning every single game. It's just I, I can't say I've taken a good look at his mouth lately. Well, I, I, I didn't trust you. <laughs> Way to make me sound like a freak, Dan. No, it's, it's no, they they had like a slow mo of him on the sideline, and like you could he like went like this, and you could see the bottom part. Let me see if I can pull it up, and I'm going to send it to you because now I feel like now I feel like a freak of nature. I, I have a lot of trust in, trust in you. I trust me. I believe you. Don't worry, I'll send. You it can to you. send you're it, not, but, you're but not I, I want to tell you, I'm, I don't I don't discount what you're saying at all. <laughs> but you had a tweet last night that. I feel like we're in the minority with this. You said Dan Campbell is, well, basically not, we're not verbatim, but you said that Dan Campbell was having a Brandon Staley-esque game. Mm-hmm. Now I'm fully, listen, the, the Detroit Lions are going to do no worse than the third seed in the, in the NFC. 
I get it. You're you're pushing to win because there's little time left on the clock. Even though Brandon Aubrey could hit like a 75 yard field goal with his leg, you know, I, I get it. You're pushing for the win. You're you're pushing for I, the wide open. The number one seed is still no. It's not really wide open. I mean, it is, but it's not really. Uh, but the Detroit Lions could have made a legitimate case for him. I get it. After the penalty, after the ridiculous, you know, illegal touching, which is a hilarious name for a penalty, by the way, <laughs> illegal touching. Uh, after that penalty, you go back to the seven. Dude, just kick the just kick the extra point and fight in overtime. I don't understand the ultra aggressive nature of going for it from the seven yard line. Yeah, like you have been gifted, well, especially even after the second one. I mean, I know you're back to where you began. And it was a good play they ran um, that, you know, Goff did not, he just didn't rise to the moment. Um, but it's almost like, look, you've been gifted these opportunities. Just take what the Lord has given you in this situation. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, all these chances to, to take the lead. Why don't you just just take the point and then keep going? Um, and, you know, I, I think in, a, in, a, in an ordinary game against the Cowboys, it's understandable to to you know want to win there and not play for overtime, but the defense is playing well. I mean, aside from Cameron Sutton, who got burned by Ceedee Lamb all, all game, you know the Cowboys only really had they had really two drives where they where they were able to move the ball very well because the Ceedee Lamb one with the ninety two yard catch it wasn't a drive. I mean they 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 had him for a safety and they couldn't get him. Yeah, but the know other you know. The oh, one I have that a ended about that. Put a pin in that. I want to get back to that. Put a pin in that. The one that ended in a fumble through the end zone was when they moved the ball well, and then the one where they um, they had that great response uh, and went up seventeen thirteen. Those were the only two where they really moved the ball efficiently. I think you have to put a little faith if if you even start, you know, if the Cowboys even start with the ball in overtime. I think you have to put a little faith in your defense to you know to to rise up and uh, and and get a stop or at least hold them to a field goal in overtime. Um, and then, you know, the offense was moving so well, even, even on drives where they didn't, they didn't score uh, that. I feel like if you, you know, if you get the ball to start overtime, you have to feel really good about yourself. So yeah, I, I don't know that I, I like the mentality going into it. Obviously they had a great play drawn up uh, and Dan Campbell was ready for it. But yeah, when you get that second or third opportunity, I feel like at that point, just take the points and even fourth and goal from the four in the first, second quarter, whatever that was. Yeah. Just, just, I mean, you were already seeing that this game probably wasn't going to be like 38 to 35. Just take it. It's okay. Like, you know, it doesn't, it, it, you don't have to. That's why I say Brand, it was Brandon Staley-ish because it felt like aggressiveness for the sake of being aggressive. Yeah. And that's exactly what Brandon Staley was, at least in year one. It was like, we're going to be aggressive, not because it's smart, but because we need to have this mentality of of being aggressive. And that's what it felt like yesterday was Dan Campbell was being aggressive because I'm Dan Campbell and I can be aggressive. And that's the mentality we want to have. When really, you know, that works maybe better in September and October and not when every single point matters here in December and you're trying to get, win the football game and very likely get the, the number two seed because all they had to do was, was kind of win out. And they could yeah. have gotten that tiebreaker over the over the Eagles. That's huge. I mean, you know, having them go to Ford Field instead of you going to Philadelphia is huge. Um, you know, I guess you could look at that and say, well, I understand why he wanted to win so bad. But I, I think playing it safe in a couple of those scenarios would have been the smart play. But um, 
He's lucky, though, because nobody's talking about that today besides for us. They're all talking about the Taylor Decker thing, which, you know, if you want to get into that a little bit. Yeah, I do. I do want to get back to the Derek Barnes. I mean, who also played like it sucks that he's going to get remembered in this game for that play because he really played awesome the entire game. Mm -hmm. Like he was everywhere on the field for wherever Cam Sutton wasn't. Derek Barnes was for, for the Detroit defense like. He's a really good player, and I think that judging by the way that he basically went in unblocked, and it wasn't a ridiculous move, it wasn't a ridiculous move up in the pocket from Dak Prescott, I think the way that Derek Barnes approached it makes me think that these roughing the passer penalties had something to do with the way that he approached flying in on on Dak Prescott unblocked. I really do because I mean, that's what they're going for, right? Like the NFL wants to deter guys in that situation. You know, I, like, I think it's case in point. I really yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Like, I I think it's possible. You're looking at a, at a linebacker who is a sure tackler who had a clear path to the quarterback. The quarterback didn't do too much to get out of the way. He didn't even extend his arms out. He went for like a like a like a shoulder tackle almost. Like it was very strange and. The more that I watched it back, I said, this has to do with the roughing the passer penalties. It really does. At least I think so. You're putting that thought in the back of these players' head at all times. And I guess, like you said, that's exactly what the NFL wants. But that's a nine-point swing right there that determines the game in the grand scheme of things. Like their goal isn't isn't necessarily – you know, oh, we, we want to penalize these guys when they, you know, when they go too hard at the quarterback. It's more like we want to deter them entirely from doing that at all. Um, and that's that's probably the result of that, what we saw last night. And that's exactly what the NFL wants, because look at that. Instead of a, you know. Yeah, they've got a highlight out of it. A two-point safety, you get a highlight out of it and a 92-yard touchdown and yeah. seven points instead of two. And the NFL is all about scoring now. So you look at it, and I mean, Roger Goodell's got to look at that play and, and get like, you know, and, and pop a stiffy on that one because <laughs> it's exactly what he's trying to advocate for. And I actually, I'm I'm in the minority in saying this. I don't think Roger Goodell is a terrible commissioner, and I, I actually don't mind him at all. But this is one of the initiatives that the NFL has taken on over the past couple of years that's kind of destroyed the defensive side between between that and the fact that the secondary basically can't even sniff the wide receiver without getting a penalty has kind of destroyed the defensive side of football. And, uh, you know, it, it really puts it in the back of these guys' minds. I really do believe if you, the more you watch that play, Dan, the more you say, there is no other reason, unless Derek Barnes had Dallas money line, there's no other reason why he would try and attempt a tackle like that. Yeah. I, I, I'm a little sympathetic to the NFL when it comes to protecting the quarterbacks. You know, I because this season is is as good a proof as any that yeah. the number one priority for them has to be keeping most quarterbacks on the field. You know, you can't have 20 of them out at once. The product's just not as good. I mean, you could you could watch the games today with you know a, a billion backup quarterbacks, and you understand why they go for it. It's just it's very hard to do though without you know disrupting the integrity of the game. I mean, you know, from a from a defensive standpoint, it's hard to find a medium where you're protecting the quarterbacks, um, but you're not changing the way the game is played. So it, I, I understand where they're coming from, you know, a little bit. I, it really changed in 2018 where they were 
they had a, there were a few you know wild roughing the passer penalties that, that I remember Clay Matthews had one back when he was still playing in 2018. There were a few that were that were wild that season though. A lot of the quarterbacks stayed very healthy. Obviously, that's changed the last couple of years for you know a few reasons. Not really none of them really having to do with getting hit too hard. Um, you know, think of Burrow's hand injury and the Achilles. It's not really having to do with. Uh, what the roughing the passer is trying to accomplish, which is getting rid of players putting their entire weight on the on the quarterback. So you know maybe is succeeding in a little, you know in some ways. Um, yeah, it's hard to find that medium between you know keeping the game intact and letting defensive players do their job and tackle the quarterback and and you know tackle players, um, but also protecting them. And yeah, Derek Barnes is probably a product of, of you know, I don't want to end up with that penalty and move our guys up 15 yards. Um, but you're right, nine point swing on that play. I mean, he had him. It's not often he had a bit he shot at the quarterback in the end zone. Like that. Very rare. And I'll tell you what, Dan, I've done a little bit more research into this, and it's super tough to get a concrete like number on this. But there have been more penalties, more roughing the passer penalties. Than any other time when the defender has a clear path to the quarterback. Mm -hmm. So you have to believe, I mean, if my, I'm a schlub, if I could find a statistic like that, you already know that the analytics department for the Detroit Lions knows that fact already. And they've told their defenders that already. So, you know what I mean? Like it, and it makes sense if you think about it, like it's going to be a hard hit. If I have, if I'm running full speed at the quarterback, I have a, a free lane. It's going to be a hard hit, regardless. If it's a perfect form tackle, it's going to look so much worse than it really is because it's a clear path yeah. and you're running that fast. So I kind of get why referees, in, to play devil's advocate, I kind of do understand why it would be a more flaggable offense. You know what I mean? Like clear path, hard hit, driven to the ground, quote unquote. Like I get it. And it, it, I know you have to protect the quarterback. I get it, but you know, it's just like, it kind of destroys a certain part of the defensive game. You're, you're destroying the mindset of some of these defensive players. And and that was a case in point last night. Well, you know, there was a play that, that I saw on Twitter. I, I didn't see every play of the, when the Browns played the Jets, that was hard to watch, but there was a play that went around I actually from we've talked about this before, but really from Steelers fans because they go after miles Garrett. Uh, he was miles Garrett was completely unblocked, you know, no surprise, right. With the Jets offensive line. You mean Makai Becton yeah. didn't block miles Garrett. Don't completely, like, I don't even want to, I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> completely unblocked. And he goes at, at uh, Trevor Simeon, um, but he just actually hit him. He ends up behind him and Simeon takes off. You know, out of the pocket, he goes for like two or three yards, slides down, whatever. Um, you know, it was a disruptive play, but Steelers fans used it to say, well, look, you know, congrats on getting a pressure. But this is a play where he was completely unblocked and could have had a sack, and he didn't. And, you know, you you look at it, and, and your first thought is, well, you know, he still impacted the play. Drove him out of the pocket. They got like two yards. I can guarantee you the Jets did nothing on that drive. Um, but, you know, when you talk about this, I think about it. and. Maybe that was intentional that, you know, maybe he did let up, um, you know, maybe it wasn't just a bad path to the quarterback. Maybe it wasn't Trevor Simeon, uh, you know, flashing his mobility and getting away from him. Maybe Miles Garrett was fearing a, a roughing the passer penalty because he was completely unblocked. 
going towards Simeon. So when you bring that up, you know, and you see the Derek Barnes play, I think you start to think of others and realize, you know, where have I been, you know, which plays are just a bad route to the quarterback and which are, you know, a defensive player changing the way he approaches the play entirely because of that rule. You're right. I'll give you a for instance, because remember a few, remember a few weeks ago when the, Miami Dolphins decimated the New York Jets, and Zach Wilson sure took that, that insanely hard hit, basically to the head, when he got ta- when he got sacked by I think it was Bradley Chubb and Raquan Davis or something like that. And that, to be honest with you, that kind of seemed like a little bit of a flaggable offense. And I could guarantee you, if it was one man running through the offensive line untouched and had put that same hit on Zach Wilson, it would have been. A flaggable offense. So I think Probably. I think you're you're 100 yeah. percent right. Where it's like that free rusher has to be thinking in his mind, which obviously kudos to to the defender for even putting that in his mind while he's like, can you imagine all the things that are going on in your head during the NFL game and a, a millisecond before you hit this quarterback, you're like, oh, I got to change the way I'm going to hit him. Like, you know what I mean? It it, it it's real uh, a testament to like how intelligent all these guys really are when it comes down to it, but. Yeah, it 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 definitely. I think I think the fabric of the play has something to do with it as well. I think where that offense, where in my opinion, I thought it was flaggable for the way that Zach Wilson got hit, the ball was already basically out of his hand by the time that he got hit helmet mm-hmm. to helmet. Now, helmet to helmet is a flaggable offense anyway, regardless of what's going on in the fabric of the play. But it kind of gets lost in the shuffle where you know, like the ball's already on the ground. I'm sure that the referees are focusing on other things and he gets blasted. And we're like, wow, that was a hard hit. Like I could see why he fumbled. But in reality, he already fumbled before that. So I think that the fabric of the play, the way that the play is, is unfolding really matters as well. And I could see right then and there. And that's points on the line too. That's two points on the line right there. Mm-hmm. Really nine, if you think about it, from, from the, the whole way that the play played out. So you have to be thinking that if there's a hit that is on the fence of being roughing the passer or not, they're going to throw the flag because there's points on the line. Regardless, of, oh, cowboy, oh, the referees are in the Cowboys fit. No, I think that would go with any game. If there's points on the line on the play, they're going to look at it with a fine tooth comb. And I think that it would have been a more flaggable offense because it occurred in the end zone with points on the line. Right now, I think you know, the, the roughing the passer, the whole, the goal of it, or that really the, the textbook definition is, I guess, unnecessarily putting your full body weight on the mm-hmm. quarterback. Now I know they don't call it, you know, properly all the time. Like we, we believe me, there have been a few roughing the passers. I'm still thinking of the one they called against Grady Jarrett last year when he, he dared to tackle Tom Brady in a game that might've turned the, the entire uh, NFC South. In fact, it would have, um, you know, if the Falcons had won, but Derek Barnes, you know, I, it, it's hard to see how it would get called if he would have, if he would have ran into him fully. Yeah. That fits the definition, but he didn't even put his arm out. Like if he, if he ran past him with just with his arm extended, it, it may not have resulted in a sack because Dak is very strong, but it probably wouldn't have ended up in CD lamb's hands because it would have disrupted the play even more. Yeah. Um, so he he's definitely still at fault a little bit because just putting your arm out, I, I have to imagine, would not be roughing the passer. And he he kind of ran at him like he had no arms. 
It looked. He looked like a. It looked like a glitch in Madden where yeah. you like where you don't yeah. really know what no, you're that's doing. Exactly. You, yeah, you accidentally just run past the and play. you just run right past the play and you're like, oh shit, the quarterback <laughs> was right there. Like that's what it kind of looked like. Like it if you like just got a hand on him, I think it changes the complexion of the play, even if it's not a sack. Yeah, because he almost sacked himself anyway, right. trying to get away from Derek Barnes. So if you put a hand out, say like, say like he's moving to the left and he put a hand out and he's like tugged on his right shoulder. Like all of his momentum's going left, then he goes right, and then you know someone hits him from behind. It's right. De- Derek Barnes is not completely not at fault here right. either. I mean, like you said, put your arm out at least, do something. I don't know what the hell he was doing, but I I think that getting back to my initial point, I really do think that roughing the passer penalties and the way that the NFL protects the quarterback on essentially every single hit kind of had something to do with the way that that play unfolded. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. <clears throat> oh, God. Terrible. Um, yes. Now, we mentioned before, I don't know, do you have anything else you want to talk about with that Lions and that Cowboys? Oh, yes, we do, actually. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm moving far too fast, obviously. Uh, let's talk about Mike McCarthy eating his vitamins and saying his prayers before he goes to bed last night because, man the referees and you know Dallas coming up with a play here or two really bailed him out of just a horrendous and and Dan Quinn of just a horrendous situation this morning or that for you know even aside from that the coaching last night at the end of the game between the you know let's pass the ball five uh, three times uh, on first to 25 you know when all we need to do is run the clock and get into field goal range um, and then Dan Quinn is like, let's take all the pressure off Jared Goff, who all of a sudden has all the time in the world to find guys like Laporta and Amon Ross St. Brown. Um, and then and I'm not we, complaining. And then we already talked about the Dan Campbell, the Dan Campbell decisions. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it, what it comes down to on that that Taylor Decker penalty is the Lions went out. The Lions tried to trick the Cowboys, and they accidentally trick the official the officials or the official because it's really it's, it's Brad Allen um who got it wrong um when so when in the post game press conference Dan Campbell would I don't know if you how much you heard from him but he was you know he was like oh you know two guys reported as eligible you can't do that which actually you can if you just if you if you have the right formation yeah um but then he was like you know we we we, we went over this pregame uh, down to a T and I thought he was calling out you know uh, Dan Skipper uh, you know for which it turns out he didn't even report name, it but I thought he was saying you know those guys messed it up I was a little surprised but what you know what it turns out he meant was he went over it with the officials like this is how it's going to happen um, you know t- 68 Taylor Decker's reporting is eligible even though we're going to make it look like Skipper is coming on to report as eligible Um and I, I truly think that that you know, twelve hours or yeah, ten hours later, what it looks like is that they just they got it wrong. The the officials, like you know, he 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 falsely believed that that Dan Skipper was the one reporting as eligible. When video shows it, it pretty clearly wasn't. I think um, you know, the whole point of of tricking the Cowboys on that play was Skipper is the one who is the the usually the the lineman who reports as eligible for the Cowboys more often than not on this play, Taylor Decker went up to the official. Um, Somebody else went with him and then Skipper was coming on the field, 
but it was going to be Decker who reports as eligible. Um, and then I, you know, somebody responded to my tweet about this, and they were like, "Well, you know, it's all for nothing because they they announced the whole stadium, which player is official. So if it was Decker, they wouldn't have been fooled. But look, the official was fooled. Like Taylor Decker went up to him physically and said, "I am, you know, I'm I'm eligible here." Um, and the the official was so on autopilot from Skipper being eligible the whole game that he thought it was Skipper who was eligible. And that was that was the intended effect with the Cowboys. He's like, yeah, they're going to announce that 68 is eligible, but what are the odds that all 11 Cowboys defenders are actually listening to that? Because if the official is on autopilot, then the, the, some of the Cowboys' defense is going to be on autopilot, just assuming that it's Skipper who reported as eligible. They all saw him came out, come onto the field um, you know, for this play. So they're going to automatically think without listening that he's the one who's eligible. Um, the problem is, is, is the official's job to get that right. The Cowboys yeah. can be fooled. The official cannot be fooled, especially if if he was told about it before the game. It's his job to get that right. Um, and it looks like he got it wrong, and then it looks like he pretty blatantly lied about it after the what game. What a route, by the way, by Taylor Decker. <laughs> that was incredible. He really <laughs> moved like a like – a, and that wasn't like a wide-open catch either. That was like a – that was like a legitimate type. No, I was worried about it in the end. Yeah, though, right? yeah. Before I even knew who it was, I was like, I don't know if this is going to be caught. I thought it was Panay Sewell at first because usually Panay Sewell is the one that kind of yeah, like Yeah, they've run a few of those. And uh, he's tremendous in his own right, by the way. I, I know we, we don't really have to get into that, but I, I'm not going to – I can't take a victory lap on this because both players are incredible, but – for as amazing as Jamar Chase has been for the Bengals, I really think Panay Sewell would have solved many offensive line problems for the Cincinnati Bengals. But that's something for a completely different day. Yeah, I I mean, the whole, like, you know what really bothers me about it too is that the referees essentially just leave unscathed. Like, I think you're going to laugh at this, and I think it's a pretty funny idea in general. I think we should have post-game interviews for the referees. I think they have to be, like, there has to be some kind of accountability. You can't just be like, I fucked up the game. I made it about me again. Bye. Like, I'll see you next week. Like, there has to be some kind of fines, some suspensions. If you fuck up, like, a game or, or maybe, you know, a bad call here and there, but something that could determine the game to me is like a suspendable offense. Like, and, and you, there has to be some kind of answers at the end. It can't be like two years later when the guy retires and then he's on a, a random episode of the ASN podcast and he goes, <laughs> and we go, you know, you really fucked up that call. He goes, yeah, you know, going back to what I really did, just like Jim Joyce did, does on every single podcast about, you know, ruining Armando Galarraga's you know perfect what, game. But you know what? People actually pointed to Jim Joyce last night because he invited after that game the entire group of reporters that was there to 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 talk to him. Yeah, he made it about himself. I don't want to. I don't want to. Give wait, wait, wait. Which is it then? Which, do you want them speaking <laughs> to reporters or not? No, 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 no. That one. I mean, like, but that is that is like an unprecedented situation where it's like you literally messed. Like, yeah, he messed up a game. In the grand scheme of things, he really didn't mess up the game. Like, you know what I mean? But he messed up history. That's that's what really like. He messed up history, not just a game. Because in but the he, grand, but in the I thing, have to say, he was the the perfect example of accountability, though. Yeah, from he the definitely that know he I know it was a terrible call, and it wouldn't happen in this day and age because you could review that in two seconds. But he was the model of accountability. You know, I, the really NFL, felt bad for, I really felt bad for him because he was just standing like 
Yeah. He was taking the boot. Weren't they like throwing shit at him too? Like uh, I think I, I, I think after the game ended and they were like walking to like they were throwing like garbage at him and shit. Like I just like I couldn't imagine like that. And honestly, like I know that you have to be partial. You know what I mean? Like you're you're an umpire, but like if it's a bang bang call like that. But it was calling him. We're calling him. And I know, but but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> we're calling him out. Like, well, it didn't look like a bang bang play. In in you know slow motion, but in real time, I guess for him it would be more bang bang than in slow motion. We're calling him out. I mean, look, Brendan Ryan did not swing and miss on Philip Umber's perfect game, but the umpire, you know, as soon as he, that ball could have, he could not even have swung at that, and he probably would have called that strike three. You know what I mean? Like you kind of just are, like, those are, that's an unbelievable name drop, by the way. Naming Brendan Ryan and Philip Umber on here. Just incredible. We might, have, we, we, might, we might have to take some Hall of Fame consideration for something like maybe uh, it's just usually you would not expect to hear those names. And I I I very much appreciate that you dropped those names in there. Dude, I could dude, I am a bank, like I might be a moron outside of sports, but I I can I have an extensive bank of knowledge in my head. So but you, you got you got what I'm saying? I mean, not to go off on that, yeah. but getting back, there has to be some kind of accountability. I mean, we hear nothing about these guys. It's well, like they have a they have a pool reporter. They no, allow one guy. That. I want to talk. I want to talk to the the guy himself. They allow one guy to ask two questions, and that's it. And then you're done. Bullshit. So Brad Allen was able to just say, like, you know, yeah, seventy reported is eligible, even though video shows him like ten feet away from him. When he starts walking away from Taylor Decker, um, and then he, you know, he just he just walks away like that. That's that's the end of the interview right there. I I just it it like it happens far too often. If this happened like two or three times a year, maybe uh, two, three kind of seems like it's pushing it. Two times a year where something like this happens, like I get it, human error. You know what I mean? But. Why don't we make penalties reviewable at that point? I'm not talking about a false start or an offside. There are ways to get – I mean, the NFL loves to be in the spotlight. They mm-hmm. love the controversy. And I think this is the only reason why they haven't revised these rules before, making these, like, bigger penalties. You know, like, game-changing penalties should be reviewable, like an offensive or defensive pass interference, a holding, something like that, a significant penalty – needs to be reviewable. If you really want, like, oh, you know, it's human error to, to, yeah, okay. But we eliminated that in baseball. I mean, even though they still somehow get the call wrong most of the time, even after, you know, reviewing it, they they resolved the human error when it comes to bad calls. You could do that in the NFL as well. I, oh, we have challenges. You know what? If you can't challenge a play inside the final two minutes of a half and everything's automatically reviewable, why not make controversial penalties automatically reviewable as well? There's ways to get around it that they just don't want to because they love. Listen, we've spent how much time talking about this right now? And listen, we're not a humongous podcast, but you're st- we're still talking about it. You know what I mean? They want that. And we're just getting suckered right into it. And if it happens again today, I guarantee you we'll be talking about it next week. Yeah, I mean, it, it does make me think of like, you said MLB has fixed it, which they have. But um, you know, when do you hear? You know, when do you hear? When do casual fans hear the most about baseball during the regular season? When there's a controversy, 
And I don't mean like a rules controversy. I mean anything. You know, somebody gets thrown at. Somebody's fighting somebody. You know, the the, the controversies do help keep uh, the sport, you know, any sport in the news cycle. So I don't think you're really I don't think you're really off base there. But the idea that maybe they're they're kind of not rushing to fix it because, you know, there are there are also benefits to it, even even though in the eyes of some people, it, it hurts the integrity of the game. You know, at least you're hearing about the game when maybe ordinarily you wouldn't as much. It's just like there's there's so many ways to to go around it, and I was going to say something very political, but I'm not going to because we're not this type of we're not this type of podcast, and I'm really not that type of person. I'm so uneducated on the subject that it would probably just sound stupid coming out of my mouth. But anyway, I I just think that there. Are, I mean, how many times, Dan, have we just seen? countless times it's oh you know we we need to be better we're going to put out the most generic statement possible that gives us the slightest amount of accountability but really says a lot and nothing all at the same time you know we the NFL referees you know we realize that we made an error the other night but there are so many plays throughout the course of a game that could change the fact that it's not just one single play right away you're saying well we are accountable for that one play but that doesn't necessarily mean that it changed the whole course of the game. So you're basically saying a whole lot and nothing at the same time, but you know, it's just, it's, it's a circular motion. We're just going to keep it's It's a round Robin thing. It's going to happen again. We're going to talk about it. Nothing's going to happen. And then we're going to forget about it. That's the, the four stages of the NFL referees making bad calls. Now, exactly. now I, 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 I'm, I'm on fire this morning. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm ending 2023 with a bang in this podcast here, but I know we did want to talk about, we do want to talk about a little bit of the Kansas City Chiefs here. And I know that this is kind of dated at this point, but we haven't obviously had an episode since Christmas Day and, and they laid an egg on Christmas Day against the Raiders at home, which is so funny because the Chiefs are so much of a better road team this year than they are home. It doesn't really make any sense. They, that was, I mean, but that was like, you know, you lose to the Eagles. Okay. You lose to the Bills. You know, okay. Josh Allen. That was a, a concern against the Raiders. I, even if it was in Vegas, that would be a concern. I mean, you know, the, the defense allows like what, nine completions the entire game or, or less? Yeah, they didn't allow a completion after the first quarter or yeah, one and, completion and, after the first and, quarter. And you still can't catch up. I mean, Obviously, the game turned on a couple turnovers. You know, you take out the turnovers, uh, the fumble, and followed by the pick six, and it's a completely, completely different game. But the offense is still—it's still not what it should be. And I, I don't—I, you know, it's we're—it's New Year's Eve. Like I, I don't know at what point they're going to fix themselves. I don't know if it is fixable uh, to the point that they can win three games because now they have to win three, not two, to get to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, and and get back to where they want to be. Um, I, I know you. I know you believe there is. Uh, we all know the receivers aren't good, but I know you. You believe Matt Nagy is a big part of the reason for why the, this offense struggling as much as it is. I mean, think about it like this: you essentially have the same personnel that you had last year, but you're adding a very, very talented receiver in Rasheed Rice. Correct. Now I know that we've always said it, it's so funny how Eric Bieniemy, regardless of what sense that you're talking about him in, 
seems to get some kind of backhanded compliments because you're looking at it like, wow, the Chiefs offense is on fire. Yeah, Eric Bieniemy should get some head coaching considerations. Oh, well, Andy Reid makes the final call on the play. You know what I mean? Like every time like that. But I think it's a testament to how important Eric Bieniemy or how important the offensive coordinator in general is to the Kansas City Chiefs offense because it's hard to ignore the drop the drop of production between last year and this year. And you can't tell me that Juju Smith-Schuster is the difference between a good offense and a bad offense. I really do think Matt Nagy has a lot to do with it. I mean, you know, drops, Kadarius Tony is just, my God. Like he, I think he was sent in as like a sleeper agent from like a different team to kind of sabotage the Chiefs dynasty run. I really do. He, he makes a play a game where you just say, wow, like all interceptions shouldn't be quarterback stats because when a ball is thrown right into your hands and it goes right through your hands into a defender, there's really nothing a quarterback could do about that. Yeah. But, you know, Mahomes, Mahomes' production himself. I mean, what game can you recall? I mean, I'm, I'm probably missing a game here or two that Mahomes had legitimate, fantastic production. I'm going to say, what, against the Bears is probably the last game I could remember off the top of my head where he had legitimate Patrick Mahomes-esque production. I mean, it's just been, I mean, yeah, he's thrown for 300 plus yards here and there, but the touchdowns aren't there. The interceptions are way up. <laughs> the offensive line is for as bad as it is on paper, especially the tackle positions, it hasn't been as bad. Like the tackle positions still haven't been great. I mean, how, how far could you have gone this season with Donovan Smith and, you know, Jawan Taylor as your two bookend tackles? Putting Wanya Morris in there every once in a while, like Wanya Morris, but I mean, come on. They gave Jawan Taylor a huge deal. Yeah, and it's going to only get worse after yeah. if he continues to be. It's twenty four point seven million dollars a year, essentially, with bonuses and everything included. That is like, and it's so funny because Orlando Brown got how much less? They got seventeen or sixteen million dollars a year from the from the Bengals. But they were willing to pay Juwan Taylor $7 million more than that a year. I don't really know what that was all about, but there was probably some kind of underlying issue there that we don't know about or, or something like that. Anyway, I, I just think that there's numerous factors, but you have to think with a wide receiver upgrade from, from Juju Smith-Schuster to Rasheed Rice and essentially the same offense, you know, you, you have to think that the play calling is sort of kind of at fault here. And you can see like Mahomes is really kind of pushing the envelope in terms of forcing the ball a lot of times too. Like he's forcing balls into areas that like he shouldn't be, or he hasn't done in his career so far. So he's got to be a little anxious back there too. He's got to be like, yo, come on, we got to get the ball moving here. And he's putting a lot of pressure on himself. I'm not a Mahomes apologist. I mean, there's a lot of throws. We can go back to last year too. There's a lot of dumb decisions that he makes with the football as well. But more often than not, it doesn't really hurt the team in the grand scheme of things. But, I mean, interceptions have been way up. The offensive production has been way down. You have to kind of look at Matt Nagy and go – and he doesn't have a great track record to begin with. So you kind of know that he's got to have some kind of part in the offensive drop-off. Yeah, I think there was a report – I don't know if it was today or yesterday or whatever – that they're they're kind of going to simplify the offense a bit. I think that, the you know – the feedback from players seems to be that they're 
you know, too many substitutions and worrying about who's on the field, who's off the field and changing up the personnel. So it sounds like they're going to simplify it a bit, um, which I'm sure is probably Andy Reid stepping in and trying to yeah. fix something that Matt Nagy is doing. But um, it's a little late. I mean, it's New, it's New Year's Eve, like I said, the week 17. You know, and the next two games, by the way, they're not going to prove anything. I mean, against the Bengals, unless they beat them like 52 nothing, They're playing the Bengals and then, the, you know, Easton Stick and the Chargers, if they even play their starters uh, next week. So they're kind of they're kind of low on time to really prove themselves in the playoffs. They're going to be uh, still a little bit of a of a I don't want to say a learning experience for the Chiefs, but, you know, they're going to have to grow a little bit during that time. There's not going to be enough time to get back to being the Chiefs that you want to be. Um, you know, before playoffs come. And, um, you know, it puts a, so much pressure on the defense, too, that the defense isn't used to. And the defense has done a pretty good job of uh, they did a really good job so far this year. For the most part. But then, you know, eventually you break. I mean, we see it with the Jets. It's a very talented defense. But, you know, when you're on the field constantly, at some point you're going to break. And that's what happened, you know, last week against uh, on that last drive with Zamir White just destroyed them. I mean, they, you know, they really didn't have enough left in the tank to, to contain Zamir White when they barely needed a stop. Uh, so the offense is going to have to do its part at some point, especially against these great, you know, that, that was the Raiders, right? If you, if you go up against the bills, uh, which is possible in the first round or, you know, the Ravens, the Dolphins, you, you have to put your defense in a better position where they're not constantly on the field trying yeah. to make the most of a, you know, of, of a game in a, a tough environment whether that's Baltimore, Miami, Buffalo, whatever it ends up being. So, yeah, they've had a lot of road success this year. They better hope that that, that it stays that way because they're probably going to have to play. If the Bills win today, the Chiefs will be the three, assuming they win the division, which they will. Um, the Chiefs will be the three, and you very possibly have to go to either Buffalo or Miami and then potentially a Baltimore. If it, if it shakes out that way, so but they better hope that they that they are a better road team than a home team because that is going to be much tougher than anything they've experienced in the playoffs during the Mahomes era. It's so interesting to hear you say the offense has to carry its weight. Talking about the Kansas City, Chiefs. I know it's it's but it's you know I think that that did hurt them at the end of the game as the defense gets so worn down that you know all of a sudden Zamir White's coming at them and they 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 fold. They just fold out there. They they couldn't contain them at that point. Um, and yeah, like I said, we see it with the Jets too, and, and other teams. You know, you, you you stay on the field so much, you just get worn down, especially if you're not used to it. Yeah, it's it, it really. I I think there's a legitimate case that the Kansas City Chiefs could be one and done in the playoffs this year. You know what I mean? Well, they like, play the Bills. You know, if they play, the Bills have already beaten them in Kansas City, and, and, it's, and not just this year either. They've done it like three years in a row or something like that, you know, in the, in the regular season. So if it lines up that way, and by the way, the you know, the Browns win made it more likely that it will end up that way with the Bills in the six, unless they, uh, you know, unless they end up winning the, the AFC East, which is possible. But, uh, you know, if the Bills end up losing to the Dolphins next week or the Dolphins win tonight, Buffalo and Kansas City, I mean, you know, could they be favored? I think the Bills could be favored in Arrowhead. You never know. Uh, that would be very tough. Track you know, if they play, if they end up with like the Colts or the Texans in the sixth seed or something, then I will give the Chiefs that win and we'll go from there. 
But um, but if the Bills end up in Kansas City, I think everybody's going to be saying, well, the Bills are have just as good of a shot as the Chiefs do. It's and and you know we we talk about the lack of offensive production. We kind of have to talk about you know we have to look at Travis Kelsey a little bit too. I know we wanted to talk about this. Kelsey's showing his age a little bit this season. I really do. I think he's. It's not you know I, I don't want to talk about the off the field distractions and Taylor Swift and all that kind of stuff. I hate all that kind of talk. I'm, I'm not talking about, I hate talking about Taylor Swift. I'm just saying like, it's such a lazy, like clickbaity way to say that Travis Kelsey is struggling. You look at him, you look at the way that he's moving on the field. It's not the same guy. And we, we kind of been waiting, you know, now that he's in his what age 34, he's turning 34, something like that. We, we're, we're looking at his age 34 season and maybe two years ago or last year, we're thinking, all right, when is the decline going to start? And it's so funny that we're talking about this as he's closing in on a hundred catches and a thousand yards this year <laughs> with close to multiple touchdowns, or, you know, double digit touchdowns. I want to say maybe, I don't know. I think he only has like five or six, but you never know. He could go off for <laughs> four receiving touchdowns in one game, but that's just the level that we we hold him to the stand. This would be like if you looked at any other tight end because tight end is such a barren position in the NFL these days. Like you'd be like, wow, this is a great season, and we're looking at it like, oh, he's fallen off completely. You know what I mean? But yeah, he just looks. He really looks slow, a lot slower, and that was one of the things that Kelsey kind of relied on uh, in his game was his like above average speed for the position. He really like getting out of catches. He, he reminds me a lot of. At the end of Jason Witten's career, I was he would make a catch and then it would take him like 13 seconds to turn around and move <laughs> upfield. It's not to that degree, but you could definitely see. I mean, like Kelsey was catch up the field all the time. Now it's like catch, turn around, you know, take a sip of coffee, and then let's go. Yeah, and we see that with those big tight ends, you know, like Gronkowski before um, before the first retirement. You know, when he was in in. Uh, 2018 when they they won the Super Bowl he looked he just looked different like he looked noticeably slower you know he looked like he was kind of he was he was playing at a different speed than everybody else body looked broken down obviously he came back in Tampa looked a little bit more refreshed but um you know it, it seems like it happens to these big tight ends that at a certain point you know the skills are still there but but physically you're just not moving the same way and that that obviously affects that especially affects you when you are relied upon to be the entire passing game, right? Like, I mean, he, you know, he is Patrick Mahomes, number one, number two, and number three weapon. There's nobody else that's supposed to come close to hey, Travis Kelsey. Hey, hey. Don't disrespect Rasheed Rice like that. He's emerging. He's getting there. I Well, you know, I think Mahomes is starting to realize that because Rasheed Rice is getting like nine targets a week now. I mean, he's, he, he is, he's super involved. So I think he's starting to figure out that. Greatest that trade I made in dynasty this year, man. I traded Desmond Ritter for Rasheed Rice in a second round pick. And I was Desmond like Desmond Ritter won't even be playing next year. Be on somebody's bench. And I got Trey Lance too, because for some reason I thought Dak Prescott was gonna get hurt this year and he was gonna emerge as as someone, but that's okay. But still could happen. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it definitely could, which would be really unfortunate for the Dallas Cowboys. But yeah. anyway. Yeah, I think Kelsey uh I don't know if you listen to New Heights or you watch New Heights. It's really I, I only listen. This this people are really going to think I'm dumb after I say this, but you I, listen I to Taylor, huh? 
you listen for Taylor. No, I only listen to two podcasts out there at this point, and uh, it's the Joe Rogan Experience and New Heights, and those are the only two that I listen to. And, um, you know, he was saying earlier in the year that, like, this year more than ever, he's really feeling all those injuries and everything like that. And, and I mean, like, at what point? We don't understand as – I'm going to say normal human beings because what they do is in such a small percentage of the – of the population that like they are considered like, I, I think that they are like superhuman. Every single person that puts on and an, an, really any professional athlete is a superhuman in my opinion. And that includes golfers. Yes. That includes John Daly. Damn it. But I mean, at what point it takes such a physical toll on you, it's going to catch up to you eventually. And I firmly believe, I, I think if the chiefs, get dumped out in the first round this year, I think Travis Kelsey will come back and say, hey, I think this is my last season. Let's give it our all. Let's win the chip. I think sign a receiver. Yeah. As my retirement. I I think also he has to get paid at some point, right? I think he's like, did he get an extension? His last extension was in 2020. I don't know what it runs through, but he, there's probably. I'm going to look at that real quick because I know, I, 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 thought he had to get paid sooner rather than later um but that's also my point too uh, he would be a free agent after next year so even more the reason to kind of say hey 2024 is going to be my last year he's going to be th- close to or 35 at that point already he's got nothing left to prove he's already considered one of the best tight ends in NFL history uh, if his body's really ailing that much at 35 years old, if you could walk away from it, it's so funny to me that a lot of people consider Gronk the best tight end of all time. He's still two years younger than Travis Kelsey. Can you imagine? Could, can you only imagine if Gronk was as healthy as Travis Kelsey throughout his career, how good he really would have oh, yeah. been? Because I think in the gra- I, I think Travis Kelsey is a top three tight end of all time. I don't think he's number one. I really do think it's Gronk because of just the sheer blocking ability too. Like he was an, an, an elite receiver, an elite playmaker, and he could also pound you into the ground in terms of being a blocker too. He was unbelievable. But like he trumps Kelsey on the blocking aspect. Now I know that Andy Reid doesn't really ask him to block, and he and he he does when he's asked to. He's not a bad blocker. He's not a liability like people think he does is, but. He's a top three tight end. I don't think he has anything left to prove unless they get embarrassed in the playoffs this year. I think Travis Kelsey comes back and says, listen, 2024 is my last go around. And I kind of think the same thing about Jason Kelsey too, because I mean, I don't know how many Eagles games. I mean, you basically watch every single Eagles game because they're on national television every week. Every time they show Jason Kelsey, the expression on his face looks like he's saying, why am I still doing this shit? Like, tell he, me that. He, like every he considered it. He considered retiring after last year. I bet if they won the Super Bowl, he probably would have. I I think that this is especially with all the stuff. I mean, you turn on a a, a sports oriented channel nowadays. Every other commercial commercial is either Jason and Travis Kelsey together or just Travis Kelsey by himself. They have the number one sports podcast in the world right now, as well. They have so many other outlets of income. They don't need football anymore. And I think 
they're both smart enough to the point where if the injuries and the ailments are starting to to really get to them, they're going to hang it up sooner, sooner rather than later. I think, I think Jason retires after this year, regardless of really ha- what happens with the Eagles. Especially if they make a deep playoff run, if they lose in like the NFC Championship game or lose in the Super Bowl again, I definitely think that it's his last. That's it. I, I'll put them both in the same like. If the Chiefs somehow win the Super Bowl, I think Kelsey comes out and he's like, I'm done. Same thing for Jason. If they both get embarrassed in like the first or second round of the playoffs, I think they both go, all right, we'll give it one more go. But I think I think the careers are coming to an end. And I mean, but Kel- Jason Kelsey's play hasn't really slowed down, which is crazy, yeah. which, is a, which is a testament to how truly amazing he is. I think he's the best center of all time. I, a lot of people don't agree with that. But I think in modern day football, I think I think this is the, one of the toughest errors to ever play the center position, and it's such a thankless position. I can't really think of many guys that I would consider over Jason Kelsey, with the yeah. accolades especially too. Very few have sustained it like he has. I mean, this is year thirteen for him. Yeah, and, and he's he's, he's still playing at a, a very high level. Yeah, it's different than a guy who peaks for five or six years. I mean, when you have a guy who could do this for over a decade, it's funny because I think like. In week two or three, he gave up a sack, and people were like, that's it. Like, he's done, and he hasn't given up, like, a pressure since then. And that was, like, the first sack he gave up in, like, two years, which is hilarious. People are always looking – you know this especially as someone that writes articles and and is on Twitter all the time too. People are always looking for the downfall of a great great football – any type of player, baseball, football, whatever it may be. Mike Trout in in – Opening day this year can go 0 for 4 with four strikeouts, and they're going to be like, he's, he's done. He's cooked. People are always looking for the, the great fall off of the great players. And I guess that's what comes with greatness is there's always going to be people looking for your downfall, but like none more than the NFL, because this year, especially, we've seen, you know, with Joe Burrow, with Josh Allen's turnover issues, Patrick Mahomes' turnover issues, Jalen Hurts' turnover issues. Every player that we consider has been great. Over the past few years, as soon as they don't play a good game or what I mean, I've never seen so much slander on Twitter as I did with Jalen Hurts' performance after the Jets game, after the loss to the oh, Jets. Yeah. I mean, everyone, it was almost like they were going to vote him out of Philadelphia after that. It was unbelievable. People just love the downfall of great players. And I, I can't, it's weird to me. I can't understand it. I never, I, I know you're not as big as a soccer guy as I'm a soccer buff. And throughout my entire life, I never understood the Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi comparisons. Why don't we just enjoy greatness for what it is? Because the earth is six plus billion years old, and we are in the era of the greatest two soccer players, in my opinion, to ever play the game. Like, how rare is that? And it's the same thing with quarterbacks. We're in one of – we were alive, you and I, to be in what I consider the greatest era of quarterbacks. Yes. And we're entering another great era of quarterbacks. Why can't we just appreciate that? It takes so much less effort and energy to just appreciate than it is to hate. Yeah, I, I saw I saw a conversation on Twitter about um, like basically the exact same thing you're saying, but for Victor Weminyama and, and Chet Holmgren, you know, because they came into the league in different years, but Chet Holmgren didn't play last year yeah. for the Thunder. So they're both rookies right now. And, you know, it seems like everybody is constantly saying, like, you know, well, he can do this. He can't do this. This one's better than that one for that reason. And somebody was like, 
couldn't you just root for both of them? Like, you know, you have to be fans of both teams, but like, couldn't you just kind of a- appreciate that that they are both very, very unique talents who yeah. are, you know, 20, 19, 20 years old doing things that not a lot of 19, 20 year olds can do. Now, I understand the need for debate. Like, yeah, we, we wouldn't even be here if, you know, if we weren't allowed to debate anything. But, um, yeah, I think I think some people do take it a little too far to the point that they they miss out on you know on appreciating certain guys and certain talents because they're too busy waiting on you know somebody to to fall apart. Um, but that is sports. I mean, right? Like you know, you know, I think losing is just as big of a part as the, uh, a big of a part of the experience as winning. You know. The, the, with every win, there is a loss, right? Which it, with every success, there is a failure. Not to get too philosophical, but that's I think that's the great part. You're spitting bars. It's a great there. part about about sports is that you know there there is always somebody who loses, in addition to wins. Um, usually, there's more losers than winners if you think about it. Um, but you know, but but when it comes to individual players, like yeah, make sure you appreciate some of these guys instead of constantly you know waiting on their downfall. Now. Will I be rooting for the downfall of of uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who signed with the Dodgers over the Yankees and decided I'm going to take the easy way with Shohei Otani instead of coming really to New York? I really think that's the easy way because when they you know get swept three games to nothing in the <laughs> NLDS by the eighty by the eighty seven win Cincinnati Reds, I don't really think it's going to uh, it's going to matter. You're right. Will I be rooting for his downfall? Possibly. Possible, but at least no, I, have I don't root for, for any players' downfall. I root for a team's downfall, and well, I'm rooting I'll always for, root for the Dodgers. Downfall. I'm rooting for the Dodgers' downfall because, I mean, this what what I'm going to say in one sentence that I don't want to really discuss further in this episode is something that we could spend an entire episode discussing. A billion dollars for two players. How is any team supposed to keep up? How is any small market team supposed to keep up with that? It's destroying. Everything, and I know I sound so old saying that, but like it really is. The market is just so destroyed at this point, and I don't even want to talk about that. But I, I agree. I, 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 nothing would make me happier, and I do love the Reds. We both love the Reds. It's, it's, it's electric. If we can induct a team into the the, the ASN Hall of Fame, I think the Cincinnati Reds would be right up there. And El Central Champions, twenty twenty four. Oh, I, I, I absolutely think so. I definitely. I will, do. I will probably pick them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God! By the way, they're they're spending money too. I mean, listen, they can't spend that kind of money, but they've yeah. signed like five guys. I mean, like they're they they signed somebody. By the way, who I thought was going to have a resurgent year with the Yankees, which was Frankie Montas. I was I was like, oh, they should bring him back. You know, don't overreact to the one year missed because of injury. Um, by the way, players who had success in Oakland did nothing with the Yankees, and then. And then found themselves again. It's going to be another Sunny Gray. It's yeah. happened before. I just want to point out it's happened. It's happened once before. And so it's going to happen. The Yankees again. might regret that one, but you know, it's it's little moves like that where if you're in a division where everybody else just kind of quits, uh, you can win. So you know, the Reds are the only team kind of trying right now in the NL Central. Sad, but it's true. You know, a lot of teams, a lot of players that have moved on from the Yankees to go to other teams recently have had a lot of success. And I can't yeah. help but think that there's just one reason why. And it's the no beard policy. <laughs> I really do think, I really do think that as someone that's a bearded individual, literally 365 days out of the year, you, well, except for 
earlier this year when I had to get that fit test and I had that really bad mustache, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, you know, I, I, it's it's just really a joke. It's not really anything behind it. I just think it's funny that like Gary Sanchez goes to San Diego and has like the second best year of his career. Like would it be, well, not defensively, uh, who has like a typical like beard. Same thing with uh, who just, who, someone else left recently and already has like a beard or something like that. Gary Sanchez is also credited with like with Blake Snell's Cy Young. Because if you look, Blake Snell turned his whole season around like as soon as Gary got there. Hilarious. So maybe the defense wasn't perfect, but you know, the the calling these uh, these games. You know, I, I realize why, because Blake Snell realized he can't throw anything remotely close to the dirt <laughs> because Gary Sanchez isn't gonna block it. Well he so still he found ways to walk guys, I'll tell you that. But he, after that, he just got them. He got them out every single time. <laughs> future, future Angels pitcher Blake Snell when they overpay him. Yeah, when they overpay him, and then he just decides not to play like Anthony Rendon. Um, well, Frankie Montas has never had a beard, so at least we don't. Have, you know, we can't blame it on that. If if he ends up throwing, you know what, Dan? We're gonna come back to this in a couple weeks, and I'm gonna I'm gonna look up Frankie Montas every single day, and I'm waiting. It's going to happen this year. I'm telling you, we're going to come back to this. But last last point I kind of wanted to get to in this episode was I did want to talk about the trade between the Toronto Raptors and the New York Knicks yesterday. Our beloved New York Knicks. And I got to be honest with you, when it first came across my desk, I wasn't really a fan. And I'm still not a fan, but I understand the trade. What you're getting with OG over RJ Barrett is essentially a better player overall. He, he automatically becomes the Knicks best man defender and he's a three and D guy. Now I know you're going to wind up paying $30 million really for a three and D guy, but that's really what the Knicks need right now is, is, is an elite three and D type of player. Now giving up Emmanuel cook quickly that as a Nick fan, it's more sentimental than anything that kind of really stings. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I want to get your. I know we discussed it briefly yesterday, but I would like to get your uh, your take on the trade. Yeah, I think I think you need a second move. Like I, I don't think I don't think this does it. Like otherwise, no. you're just pretty much where you started. Um, you it's, know, it's a it's a linear move, it, it right? Really like is. exactly, like it's a lateral move. Like you said, OG Ananobi is an upgrade over RJ Barrett for the Knicks. You know, for their situation, is he as is his offensive ceiling as high? No. But his his offensive floor is not as low because we know RJ Barrett. We know RJ Barrett could have some brutal offensive performances. Uh, so you're you're getting a little more stability offensively, although your the ceiling has dropped a bit. Defensively, upgrade obviously. You know he's a very good defender. So he's what he's what you need. Um, but losing quickly is huge. I mean, how many games was he an X factor? You know so. You could look at it and say, well, they were preparing to lose him anyway. He was going to be a free agent. They couldn't agree on extension. Okay, you still have to replace him with something. Yeah. Other, otherwise, you are you, re, you know you're regressing as a team. I mean, he was a huge piece. You can't just act like he was a you know a throw-in in that deal. So you know maybe you were going to lose him to begin with, but you're in the middle of a season right now where you want to contend. I don't think winning a championship was ever realistic, but you know you you obviously hurt your ceiling if you don't make another move. Um, so that's that, and you know you, you can't even call it a benefit of of getting RJ's contract off the books because Ananobi's going to be a free agent too. He's, he has a player option yeah. that he's going to decline. He's going to get paid just as much. I mean, he's going to get paid a lot. It's going to, you know, with the way the cap has gone up, he's going to get paid just as much or more than RJ Barrett was, uh, whether people expect it or not. So, 
you, you have to kind of almost call it even from a contract standpoint. So, yeah, I, you know, it's hard to see how it really helps the Knicks unless there is that other move where they use the assets that they kept, you know, the first round picks that they kept uh, and turn it into something bigger. How does, they Quentin, can, Grimes, then, how does Quentin Grimes continue to survive? <laughs> He's going to be the longest tenure Nick one day. Can you answer that question for me? Because I feel like every time that, like, and don't get me wrong, I know that Danny Ainge didn't want to pull the trigger on this. So a lot of people were saying, oh, you trade these players for, you know, OG, but you don't trade them for Donovan Mitchell. Listen, Danny Ainge was never going to trade, you know, Spider to uh, New York. Yeah. It was never going to happen. Didn't they offer like RJ Barrett like six first round picks? It was never going to happen. But, you know, the, the, I remember in those talks, the talk stalled when it when it came about Quentin Grimes. It was like we will give you R.J. Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, but you can't take Quentin Grimes. It was like why not? It was like what what are you talking about? <laughs> but yeah, he just continues to survive. I mean, he's just he's been what is he playing like fifteen minutes a game, shooting like thirty percent from the field. Like yeah, he's not exactly yeah he's not exactly playing like an untouchable player. Yeah, I'll put it I don't that know. way. Tibbs has that like weird obsession with random players, in my opinion. It's it's strange, but I do like the move as in the grand scheme of things. I think that I mean it's so funny because the move basically justifies itself after after last night's 140 point loss to you know the Pacers. It, it you know you you do need defensive upgrades absolutely, and I'm. I'm drawing a blank on the name of the other guy that they got in that deal as well. Uh, didn't they get Malachi Flynn too as like a throwing player? And, and Precious Chua. Yeah, there you go. That's who He's I'm from the Bronx. Another pretty good defensive player too. You need you need defense, and I get especially it. Especially without yeah, it, and and especially in the front court with Mitchell Robinson potentially out for the year. Yeah, I mean, at least you could put Chua in there, and you have another body. Yeah, I mean. Knicks fans are never going to be set. It's so funny to see the traje- the trajectory of like Knicks fans as like the hours went on yesterday because it was like worst move ever. Can't believe it. And then the same account like two hours later was like, I actually don't mind the trade. I'm not going to lie. And then I was like, well, which is it? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Knicks fans are just uh, completely ridiculous. But I agree with you. I think that there has to be another move. There has to be a significant move it has to be a big time move in my opinion because you know i'd never really agree with what Stephen a says but i will agree with what he said a couple weeks ago he goes regardless in a win or lose situation the knicks always have the second best player on the court yeah and and they do they really do and and if if you want to be like you said yesterday, what 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 did you say? They're going to be in consistent forty five and thirty yeah, forty five and thirty seven forever. Yeah, they're going to continue. Sure, they'll be a playoff team with this current roster. They could be a playoff team every single year, but they're not going to do anything in the playoffs. So, do you want to just keep Knicks fans happy and <laughs> with first round exits every single year, or do you want to actually, you know, contend for a? A conference championship, or you know what I'm saying? Yeah, there, there's another move to be made if if they're going to take that that next step, and it's hard because they've been trying to make that move for uh, basically the last decade. You know, ever since Carmelo Carmelo Anthony was the last time they really had a a legitimate star come in, um, because Derrick Rose was well past his prime, and obviously Jalen Brunson is great, 
won't say a bad word about him, but he's not the number one guy, you know, yeah. on a on a championship team. Which um, Knicks fans were very upset because uh, Becky Hammond just said that about Jalen Brunson. He's the, you know he's not the number one guy on a championship team. And like, I'm sure that there was plenty of non misogynistic responses to uh, to to that uh, that. Say that uh, people are like, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, they're not winning a championship with Jalen Brunson. We don't have to pretend that that that, yeah. that he's going to be the number one guy on a championship team. You know, we can we can stop with that. Um, he's a great player, but you know, it's not his fault. But he's he's not that guy. Um, unless you have like four other Jalen Brunsons around him, and then maybe you've got a shot. Um, but yeah, there there are there is work to be done. I think um, now Leon Rose hasn't had a he isn't, I don't think he's spoken to the media in like two years, so we won't really be hearing from him about what he's what's going to be done. So we're all just going to have to hope that that uh, there's some kind of move made because right now, you know, that this is not a not a championship team. It wasn't before either, but it does feel like a little bit of a lateral move uh, for the time being. I just love signing R.J. Barrett to a massive contract and then just trading him like right after. Don't you love that? He's going back home to, to Canada. Great. <laughs> I was never, to be quite honest with you, I was never really a big fan of RJ Barrett. I thought he was like far too inconsistent. And, you know, you know, I mean, good player. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, he had like, clutch moments. He seemed like he was, he was built for New York. Yeah, uh, but, just, but yeah, offensively, you know, just super, super inconsistent. And it, it hurt them against the Heat last year. Yeah. I mean, how many times can we see him drive down the center lane and, and, Euro step to the left and miss the layup. I mean, it gets old after a while. But, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, maybe by the next time that we are uh, on ASN 54, maybe we'll be discussing another Knicks move, hopefully for the better and not for the worse. But, like you said, kind of a kind of a sideways move. I don't hate it. I don't love it. But I understand it. And, um Dan, uh, I think I am good. If uh, if you have anything else to add, please, uh, the stage is yours. Feel free. No, I, I think we're set. I think this is a good one. Um, you know, not 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 too much to talk about. At least until today goes down, and you know, a lot of the the NFL playoff picture gets sorted out. I know yes. today is going to be a big day for all that. Um, college football playoff tomorrow as well, or or today if you're listening to this on January first. Uh, so there, there's going to be definitely plenty to talk about next time when we put together episode 54. But for now, yes. I think it's a good way to close out a, a good year. Absolutely. And, and and Dan, this has been a great year for us. And I'm, yes. I'm, I'm very happy that we have spent some of this year together as well. And I'm looking forward to 2024 as well. And I can't Absolutely. wait to fall asleep halfway through the Sugar Bowl tomorrow because it's on at 845 for some reason. <laughs> but I'll be up. I know you will, but. You know, but, I'll be up. I didn't want to cut you off before when you said you haven't like fallen asleep before twelve o'clock and God knows how long. Yesterday I stayed up until twelve thirty and I and I like I was like, Oh my god. And I was like, Yes. It's, and then it's I went right to bed. You, that's what yeah, I was gonna say that's what happens when you start work at six thirty and you wake up at five AM every day. Yeah, well, you know, if that was the case, I I would not be up at midnight. I <laughs> no, I wouldn't be able to survive. You know what time I woke up this morning, Dan? I went to bed at twelve thirty. You know what time I woke up? 5.30. Close. 5.50. 5.50. I was up out of bed. I made myself some toast. I was ready to take on the day. Yeah. While well, 12.30 would be nice and early for me, that I, you would not see me up at, at 5.50 or 
Or seven fifty. We'll get you there one day, Dad. <laughs> we'll get you there. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for your continued support throughout 2023. We hope you continue it until 2024. Thank you all so much. Have a happy and healthy New Year celebration. And we'll see you in the next one.